What a terrific morning it has been already. I know for me it's been uh, usually a pretty typical morning. I get up and I go to Starbucks and uh, enjoy my coffee in the morning. Uh, I love Starbucks. I, I love that they know my name when I walk in the door. I love that they know my favorite beverage and it's sometimes made for me before I even get to the register. I even love the holiday cups. You know what I mean? I'm a guy who's a big fan of plain red, none of that iconography on it. For me, Starbucks and the green logo, very festive. Thank you very much. I'll tell you, I spend way too much time at Starbucks, and I'll tell you how I know. You know you spend way too much time at Starbucks when you know the other regulars by name, and they start to irritate you. (laughs) That's about the time that you need to find a hobby or (laughs) another coffee shop or a life or something I'd go to another coffee shop, mind you, but I have some scruples. My wife likes the coffee shops that are like the locally owned ones. They're authentically homey. Uh, You know, they're the ones that serve you coffee and the chipped mugs and all that. Uh, But I'm like a stickler for the health grade on the front door thing. And so when your health grade says D on the front door, that tends to tell me don't come in. Um, I've, uh, I've had other coffee shops I've thought about going to, but Uh, Like, I'm not hipster enough, really, to hang out at Intelligentsia. Um, Plus, I don't own a flannel shirt, so I don't fit in very well there. Uh, uh, I know some of you hang out at Copa Vida, but I am way not good-looking enough to hang out at Copa Vida, you know? I mean, it's amazing. Everybody's fit there. I'm I'm totally not hipster. I'm, like, blobster. You know, I'm not exactly sure what you're going for. I, I know one thing's for sure. The coffee shop revolution is indicative of our deep desire for community. I like going places where people know my name. In my generation, it was the the Cheers phenomenon, an old sitcom, where you go to that bar and everybody knew your name, but it was the same thing. We all deep down inside long for community, and over the past couple of decades, our culture has taken, in part because of technology, in part because of the, uh, the... Uh, uh, the move into mass cities, the growth of the big city, um, the reemergence of the megacity. People are thirsting for community as never before. Bill George, who's a senior fellow at Harvard Business School, wrote recently in the Huffington Post, over the past 20 years, Americans have faced a crisis of community. We're spending less and less time with each other. Technology connects us but changes the nature of our relationships. We have more friends, quote-unquote, than ever, but lack the bonding we yearn for. I can tell you that I experience this too, as strange as that may seem, being the pastor of the church. Uh, Pastors experience this in a really interesting way that is akin to what I want to share with you today, and that is something that Paul Tripp, who's a, a man who speaks to pastors at length, writes books for pastors, and he says this, He says, churches forget that they've called a person who's a man in the midst of his own sanctification. This tends to drive the pastor into hiding, afraid to confess what's true of him and everyone to whom he ministers. So the nature of a lot of churches in America is that the pastor himself is actually retreating away from community. Today we come to the conclusion of our message in 2 Corinthians. The Apostle Paul is going to end this letter. It's been a year-long study for us, and he's going to end it 
by issuing a benediction in much the same way we do our worship services. It's a pastoral practice that dates all the way back to the Old Testament to Aaron, the brother of Moses, who founded the priestly tribe of Levi, when the ironic blessing is what I issue every week. May the Lord bless and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine down upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. Paul's blessing, his benediction, is used regularly in Christian churches to summarize the ongoing function of the triune God, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Embedded in these final words of Paul's letter to the Corinthians is a call for all believers to draw close to one another in community as God does. I want to review from last week, uh, Brooks concluded his message in Paul's concluding words with verses 12 and 13, which read, Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. Now, we didn't include verses 12 and 13 again because we wanted an outbreak of affection here at Prism Church, although worse things have happened. In fact, uh, when we start talking about affection, it's really tough for pastors to figure out just how to be affectionate, uh, particularly with the women of their church. And in a multicultural church, it's even more challenging. I'll give you an example of what I mean. Uh, Historically, uh, Latin and African-American cultures are particularly affectionate. So it is not uncommon for ISIS here in the front row to come up and give me a big hug. All right, and for me to go, hi, good to see you. Asian culture on the other end of that spectrum is not necessarily always big on the uh, initial physical affection. Maybe in their close family they do, but they're not particularly fond, generally speaking, of their pastor coming up and throwing his arms around them. Not sure anybody is, but I know for sure that in our culture, I just have kind of had to weigh that. Um, the women of white culture, um, all I have to do is just be careful not to bring up the subject of traditional gender roles, and I'm fine. So, you know, I can do whatever I want. Today, uh, I include verses 12 and 13 again to show the connection between our experience of God and our experience with each other. We are conduits to each other for his grace and one of the biggest means by which we experience God. Apart from genuine, heartfelt connection to others in your church, you will be shortchanging your spiritual growth and you'll be missing an opportunity to glorify God. I have two thoughts from Paul's benediction to us today, and they're both related to the community of God, and I mean that in two senses, the community that is God and the community that is God's. Let me start with the first one so you know what I'm talking about. Benediction reality number one is that a community made us, a community made made us. Listen to this benediction. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. It's speaking of the triune God. Paul is speaking what was told of him, what the disciples heard when Jesus came to them in Matthew chapter 28 and said, all authority has been given to me. Now go and baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
Jesus is communicating to us because it would be difficult for human beings to have any real conception of what the God of all eternity is like. He is saying we are three persons in the same being. The Westminster Confession states that the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Another way to say that would be to say we have two obligations in life, to imitate God for his glory and to emulate him for our good. To imitate God for his glory, that he might be seen in and through us, and to emulate him for our best, for our good, for his desire to see good things come about in our lives We were made by God in his image, and therefore, the triune God of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, being by definition a community, is calling us to the same. It glorifies him. We were hardwired to be in community and to live any other way doesn't work. The Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, serves and needs each other within the Godhead. You say, what does the Trinity mean? Let me try to come up with a metaphor that will help you. Hey, a triangle. Uh, You may have seen one of these around our church. Um, uh, A triangle would demonstrate, there you go. Um, The clarity of the triangle is that Father, Son, and Spirit are separate, but yet they share an essential being, namely that they are all three God. They are separate persons. They are one in being. And verse 14 says, as the Trinity exists, as a church, we're supposed to exist. Verse 14 says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. As a church community, we're to emulate its manifestations. And listen to these things as we look at verse 14 again. Grace, unmerited favor. The grace of the Lord Jesus. We're to emulate that to each other. We're to extend unmerited blessing to each other. Jesus' gift to us was not conditioned upon anything in us. Then we go on to the, the love of the Father. We're to emulate the love of the Father. We're supposed to experience that through each other. This is something we're called to. To emulate, to imitate God is more than just to be morally pure, although it is clear that that's part of our call as Christians is by doing the things that are pleasing to God, we are actually reflecting his character to the world. But there is a more foundational concept that's contained in imitating God, which is if he lives in community, it glorifies him that those he created would be in community as well. And then the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. The fellowship of the Holy Spirit is his uninhibited continual presence. And this is really where our worship collectively, our time together in community groups, all these things are merely opportunities for us to glorify the God who created us because we were created by a community, the community that is God. Father, Son, and Spirit have collectively existed from all eternity. They perfectly meet each other's needs And in some ways, they, more than us, need each other. Jesus said this in John 13, A new command I give you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. 
you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And so the, the, ad, the admonition from Jesus is, is that he will be glorified when we are in community, caring for each other. And it's not just because love glorifies him. It's because being together actually reflects that we were hardwired for this. He made us because he made us in his image. Even those who are in the Scholastic Academy have come to this same conclusion in contradiction to what is our nature or our Western sensibilities. Dr. Brene Brown of uh, TED Talk fame, a sociologist, says this, a deep sense of love and belonging is an irreducible need of all people. We are biologically, cognitively, physically, and spiritually wired to love, be loved, and belong. We need it. One of the things you can find me every Thursday at 1015 doing is sitting with a smile of anticipation on my face at Starbucks. And the reason is because every Thursday morning at 1015, my beautiful, almost 20-year-old college student daughter walks through the door to have coffee with her dad. It's the greatest part of my week. It's absolutely, positively the thing I look forward to most, no offense to my wife. (laughs) And I think she'd say the same about her time with her children See, Holly is at PCC now, but next year she'll be going away to college. So it's possible you'll not see as much of me next year as you do this year. Right now I can just walk right down the street. My love for Starbucks is because it's a meeting place for me to know the fellowship of my daughter, to know family. See, my wife and I helped make Holly, (laughs) and, and we're part of her life, not just as you know, people who happen to be in the same building. She's part of our DNA. She was in some ways, if you will, made in our image. Thank the Lord she's got more of your beautiful genetics than mine. But she's, uh, she, she's family. She's connected to me. And so when I get to be with my family, as much as I love you all, it is absolutely central to my being. It's absolutely central to who I am. I want you to see that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit share this type of unity with one another. It's more than just a theological category. It's more than just a a distinctive that would help you intellectually to understand God. This is a real thing. We were made by a community, a God who is one, but he is three distinct persons meeting one another's needs. And Paul's benediction basically pays attention to the three distinct roles that they play even in caring for one another. And we're supposed to emulate that to one another. We're supposed to be people who glorify God by them seeing how connected we are to one another, that we would know the love of the Father, that we would know the grace of the Son, that we would know the presence of the Holy Spirit. Benediction reality number one is a community made us. Benediction reality number two is we were made for community. Benediction reality number two is a community makes us. A community may have made us, but a community is what defines us. It makes us who we are. It is part of who God wants us to be. It is what we need in life. You can see this in verse 14. He says, the grace of the Lord Jesus, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. As was the case of the nation of Israel, 
the Christian faith is not just an individual experience. It is to be happening within community. It happens with each other. If the triune God needs community amongst itself, do you imagine that any one of us can live without it? Our individualistic society, potentially our proud, narcissistic, self-centered nature, would tell us that we can make it on our own. We don't want to be involved with other people because they mess up your world. And I like having my world smooth and without interruption. And if I bring other people into that, all it's going to do is mess it up. But the lie of our enemy, the devil, exists in that statement. You and I cannot make it with other people. We cannot make it physically. I think that's obvious. From the earliest of years, we had to have a parent feed us. You cannot make it in life without other people physically. You cannot make it in life without other people emotionally. People who end up in cabins all by themselves end up being unibombers. You do not exist in a world where you don't need the love and attention of other people. We need each other. And that is most certainly the case spiritually. We absolutely, positively cannot make it on our own. But here's something that may even be more important as a church to realize. Even more important than realizing that you can't make it without others, others can't make it without you. You can go to church and hide from being known and hide from others knowing the parts of your life that you're ashamed of. And then in the end, all you'll do is only deprive yourself. But you're also depriving others of what you're to give them. You and I can't thrive without community, but community can't thrive without you. And as we talk about the community of God, Father, Son, and Spirit, He may not need us to live and have His essential being. I mean, God existed for eternity before we came along. But the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit absolutely need each other. And we were created in their image. Bill George, again, the author of Discover Your True North, says this, emotionally having a strong support network changes how you feel. The Mayo Clinic recently reported that deep personal connections decrease stress, anxiety, and the risk of depression. More surprisingly, having close relationships can change your fundamental biology. In 2006, the Journal of Behavioral Medicine reported that social support is linked to lower rates of mortality and immune system improvements. So it begs the question, why do we avoid community? Now, before we get into some specifics of why we avoid it, i got to tell you, as a pastoral aside, something that I learned teaching intercultural communications at Florida State University, and that is this whole concept of culture shock, and it happens within a church, too. In a very real way, if you go overseas to work for an NGO or you work for a mission organization, you will get there, and it's true if you move to an entirely new part of the world for you, and when you first get there, you will experience a euphoria. It's called the honeymoon phase. You've experienced it in marriage if you're married too. And then that ends. And things that used to be beautiful and wonderful and incredible, now all of a sudden you see the flip side of them. The sausage tasted delicious, and now you're seeing how it's made. So the whole world is like, oh, this stinks to high heaven. 
And I got news for you, and this is what they call in culture shock, the culture shock you. All right, you start off, then there's a honeymoon period, and then it varies. For people, it's six months, could be a year. I can tell you in church life, it's generally, and we found this here at PRISM, six months. And then what happens is you have to fight through a period of adaptation and then integration. And if you don't fight through that, what you'll do is you'll instinctively jump to a new environment and experience a new honeymoon period. And then like many millennials, no offense to you if you're a millennial, like most millennials, you'll bounce around every six months to something new. I'm not happy, I'm not happy, I'm not happy, I'm not happy. This happens in church life too. It'll happen here. It'll happen in the biggest church in our area. What happens is you'll go there and everything will be new. The music is new. The pastor is new. The people are new. The building is new. Six months from now, guess what? The new car smell is gone. The pastor's messages are all the same. And how come he talks about grace all the time? Can he move on to another subject? The music is the same. That guy is so good looking, it's distracting. How come we can't have a guy up there who just looks like the pastor does? You know, uh, who's not distracting at all. I mean, you know, the things get the same. And then you have to decide, am I here or am I gone? And I'm not saying this to keep you here. I'm saying this to kind of sort of warn you that no matter where you go, this is going to happen again. You may not be called here, and that's fine. If God's not calling you to be a church person here, totally okay. I mean, we'd love to have you, but we understand. But what's going to happen is in a church, if you don't have a meaningful relationship one that actually connects you to other people that you find life-giving within six months to a year, you'll be gone. You'll be gone to the next church, or you'll just say, you know, I've had enough of this whole church thing. I'm just going to go back to playing soccer on Sunday mornings because at least when I hang out with my soccer buddies, we're hanging out together. I don't know anybody at church. Well, this is the call of the church. We're called, Christian believers are called to actually create community that is life-giving. So what keeps us from doing so? I would say that the scriptures testify that it is our inability to fully embrace the gospel, to believe and comprehend what Paul was talking about in his beautiful benediction, that by the grace of Jesus Christ, we are made acceptable and freely enter the presence of the Father to enjoy the love of God. And as a result of our conversion to the faith, the presence of God lives in each believer and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit unites us together. See, it's forgetting this. When we fail to realize that we're acceptable to God by the grace of Christ alone, forgiven and made holy by the gift of His righteousness, when we fail to see that our true identity and purpose is rooted in being dearly loved daughters and sons of God, in a relationship with our Heavenly Father, when we forget that we are joined mysteriously to other believers as a genuine family by virtue of the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, we avoid community. We become self-absorbed because we don't clearly see the picture of God, His unconditional love, His unconditional love towards you. And the inability to see the clear, unconditional love of God enables, disables us from making our lives about focusing on other people and others being first. Until you believe in your heart, until I believe in my heart that God loves you with a passion 
that is unconditional, you will not love people, you will not love your church community, you will not love the community at large unconditionally. Because you see, God is demanding, he's just demanding, he's just demanding. And you don't know what it's like to be selfless and undemanding of others. There's another component to this, though. Our inability to comprehend the gospel also makes us afraid to show our true selves to others. Many of us are avoiding community because we find out, if people find out I'm addicted to this, that, or the other thing, that they're going to stop loving me or they're going to think less of me. I got news for you here at this church. We're all addicted to one thing or another. We're all people who are struggling, even as believers, to put the gospel central in our lives so that he will mean more to us than the acclaim of others or the possession of things or the exaltation of position. You and I are in a battle together to communally remind each other that we can find our contentment in Christ alone, that we can know real grace and joy in just being his daughters and sons. The gospel unites us in this pursuit. And if I don't know that I'm really okay with God, then the last thing in the world I'm going to let you see is my flaws because that's going to threaten me. If my real status as a child of God is not the most important thing to me and very real, then I'm going to be worried about my status with you. And that's going to mean I'm not going to a community group to tell you what I've been wrestling this with week or confess my sins to some guy. I'm just not even going to get around people. I'm going to insulate myself. And if we're afraid of what others truly knowing us, that's a really good sign that we need to plunge in more deeply to the grace of God. That's why we talk about the grace of God so much, not because we want you to avoid the pursuit of holiness or acts of righteousness, but because we know heartfelt love for God only comes in knowing deeply that he loves you. Your love for God is only going to come as you comprehend his love for us. We evidence our security in Christ when we override our fears by securely rejoicing in the truth that God the Father is pleased with us as his children in Christ. When we know and live out the reality of being the unworthy but completely forgiven children of God, we won't fear what others think. And we are then free to love them as we've been called to do for our mutual good and for God's glory. We've got some changes coming up in 2016. Uh, one of them in our church is that we're going to move from one service at 10 a.m. to two identical services at 9 and 11 a.m. This starts on January 10th. Now, there's a slight risk associated with this because for three years, we, in, you know, we, we were, you know, there was hardly anybody in church here at PRISM, and so when people started showing up, a lot of folks were like, I really liked it. You know, there's people here. It's kind of fun. And, and so what happens is if you take a room full of people and you cut it in half, there is a natural sense that maybe this place won't feel the same way energetically speaking. And, and one of the things that is even more important and a more reasonable and gen, genuine concern is that people that I used to see every week and connect with every week at my worship service, now they're going to a different worship service altogether. So we have determined that while 9 and 11 are two hours apart, what we're going to do is at 10 o'clock every morning, we're going to start a coffee plaza out here on the back uh, yard. We're going to have out here in the back behind the church, we'll have tables, we'll have incredible amounts of coffee, hopefully Starbucks blend blonde. Um, we'll have, 
Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Brooks, for throwing that up there for me, buddy. This coffee time that we're going to have is going to extend over the start of the other service. It's going to be this time where we come together to stay connected. Our hope is that this area out here will help us to connect to others who might go to the other worship service. We're, we're taking this needed risk, but the risk is mitigated by our collective commitment to fostering community and not merely a large gathering of people. To that end, we're going to need people, and that's you, who will show up actually before service, potentially on time, maybe even early, to welcome others. You may have heard me say this is absolutely true. If people are guests in our church, they always show up early. It's the people that have been here a while that kick in here 10 to 15 minutes late. Well, the problem with that, friend, is not that I'm up here taking attendance or, like, scoring you. It's, it's that there are people who come to church, and there's nobody here at 10 minutes to, to meet. And so whether or not you want to be a part of a giving community that welcomes others in are going to be directly proportional to whether or not you're willing to show up early to worship to let people know that you're glad they're here. And really, it's just a matter of sacrificing 15 minutes of our time. We're going to need people who are committed to being just friendly. You don't even have to go outside the doors of our church. You can just be friendly here and welcome others in. Perhaps your New Year's challenge will be to connect to a community group. You hear us talking about them all the time. They're off for the month of December, but they'll start again in January. Community groups take a step of faith on your part and require leaders on the other end of that to be there to welcome you and make you feel like they genuinely want you there and they'll help ease your transition into this unfamiliar environment. Maybe you feel and have been stirred to lead a community group or host a community group, and I would say this is a great stirring from God because what you are doing is creating an environment for community to take place. You are being a conduit through which the glory of God is going to be poured into others' lives. They are going to experience the grace of God through you because in your welcoming them, they are going to get a tangible sense that they are welcome to God. In the absence of that, many people go without. And perhaps most appropriately, as we wrap up our year-long study in 2 Corinthians, as we do each week at our church, we end today by communing with Jesus at the table of remembrance. And I thought this would be an appropriate time for me to just take a second to explain our communion table with some great detail because I think it does actually help us understand what God is after in the remembrance table, the table of the Lord, communion. This communion table is for those who are part of the community of Christ followers. When Jesus established communion, it was the Passover supper where he was sitting with his best friends casually around a table celebrating a meal together. And at the end of it is when it got serious, is when Jesus said, this is the bread of the covenant. This is my body. It's going to be broken for you. And he took a cup of wine and he told his friends, as we've been for generations celebrating the lamb who was sacrificed so that the Israelites could escape the angel of death and escape Egypt, this wine, which has been symbolic of a blood that saved us from death, is now the wine that saves us from our sins. And Jesus said, this is the blood of the new covenant, 
shed for you that sins may be forgiven. And he's called us, most importantly, he said, do this in remembrance of me. So Jesus did this communion to call his followers to remember what he's done because it's so easy to forget. He's also called us to be able to publicly make the declaration that we depend on Jesus alone, that we have no hope to make ourselves right before God by virtue of our own good works, that Jesus has sufficiently paid for any sins we've committed or will commit, and that he has, through his gift of grace, his righteousness, made us completely acceptable to God right this second. And when we communally come to the table to celebrate the Lord's Supper, that's exactly what we are declaring. We are declaring his death until he comes again. We're saying his death is what made us right now acceptable to the Father. We are at rest with him. He is expressing his grace the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. In this, a person comes to the communion table secure in their relationship with their heavenly Father and in so doing experience the eternal love of God. And the person who comes to the communion table is remembering Jesus with other believers together basking in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, may the love of God, may the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Let us pray. Father, we need you and we need to experience you and we have to confess, some of us today, that in our selfishness we have made this about us. And we have, Lord, not only cheated ourselves out of knowing you in a way that we said we wanted to, but we've cheated others out of knowing you through us. And a lot of it starts because we've very simply forgotten that you have made us acceptable to you. We need no longer fear what others think of us. I pray that that grace would be real. And even as we come to the communion table today, I pray that we would know the joy Father, that we would know the joy of being right with you so that we can love others as you've loved us. And in so doing, people will know that we're your followers. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.